Welcome to this week in surgery your filtered medical journal summary. Looking to stay up to date with the latest medical research but short on time? This week in surgery has you covered. Our podcast provides you with a convenient, on-the-go solution to keep you informed about the most significant developments in the surgical field. We understand that your time is valuable, so we've done the hard work for you. Each episode offers a filtered and concentrated summary of key journal articles, allowing you to stay informed without the need to sift through pages of research papers. Second, Surveillance of individuals at high risk of developing pancreatic cancer, a prevalence meta-analysis to estimate the rate of low-yield surgery. Objective. To quantify the rate of low-yield surgery, defined as no high-grade dysplastic precursor lesions or T1N0M0 pancreatic cancer at pathology, during pancreatic cancer surveillance. Summary background data. Global efforts have been made in pancreatic cancer surveillance to anticipate the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer at an early stage and improve survival in high-risk individuals, HRI, with a hereditary predisposition. The negative impact of pancreatic cancer surveillance when surgery is performed for low-grade dysplasia or a non-neoplastic condition is not well quantified. Methods A systematic search and prevalence meta-analysis was performed for studies reporting surgery with final diagnoses other than those defined by the CAPS goals from January 2000 to July 2023. The secondary outcome was the pooled proportion of final diagnoses matching the CAPS goals, Prospero, hashtag CRD4202230408. Results 23 articles with 5,027 patients, median 109 patients slash study, IQR 251, were included. The pooled prevalence of low-yield surgery was 2.1%, 95% C0.9 to 3.7, I2 83%. In the subgroup analysis, this prevalence was non-significantly higher in studies that only included familial pancreatic cancer, FPC, subjects without known pathogenic variants, PV, compared to those enrolling PV carriers. No effect modifiers were found. Overall, the pooled prevalence of subjects under surveillance who had a pancreatic resection that contained target lesions was 0.8%, 95% C0.3 to 1.5, I2 24%. The temporal analysis showed that the rate of low-yield surgeries decreased in the last decades and stabilized at around 1%, test for subgroup differences P less than 0.01. Conclusions The risk of low-yield surgery during pancreatic cancer surveillance is relatively low but should be thoroughly discussed with individuals under surveillance. Next JAMA Surgery Cannabis Use Disorder and Perioperative Complications Importance cannabis use is growing in the U.S. and is increasingly perceived as harmless. However, the perioperative impact of cannabis use remains uncertain. Objective to assess whether cannabis use disorder is associated with increased morbidity and mortality after major elective, inpatient, non-cardiac surgery. Design, setting, and participants This retrospective, population-based, matched cohort study used data from the National Inpatient Sample for Adult Patients Aged 18 to 65 Years who underwent major elective inpatient surgery, including cholecystectomy, colectomy, inguinal hernia repair, femoral hernia repair, mastectomy, lumpectomy, hip arthroplasty, knee arthroplasty, hysterectomy, spinal fusion, and vertebral discectomy, from January 2016 to December 2019. Data were analyzed from February to August 2022. Exposure Cannabis Use Disorder, 
as defined by the presence of specific international statistical classification of diseases and related health problems, 10th revision, ICD-10, diagnostic codes. Main outcome and measures the primary composite outcome was in hospital mortality and seven major perioperative complications, myocardial ischemia, acute kidney injury, stroke, respiratory failure, venous thromboembolism, hospital-acquired infection, and surgical procedure-related complications, based on ICD-10 discharge diagnosis codes. Propensity score matching was performed to create a one-to-one match cohort that was well-balanced with respect to covariates, which included patient comorbidities, sociodemographic factors, and procedure type. Results among 12,422 hospitalizations, a cohort of 6,211 patients with cannabis use disorder, median age, 53 years, IQR, 44 to 59 years, 3,498, 56.32%, male, were matched with 6,211 patients without cannabis use disorder for analysis. Cannabis use disorder was associated with an increased risk of perioperative morbidity and mortality compared with hospitalizations without cannabis use disorder in adjusted analysis, adjusted odds ratio, 1.19, 95% C, 1.04 to 1.37, P equals 0.01. The outcome occurred more frequently in the group with cannabis use disorder, 480, 7.73%, compared with the unexposed group, 408, 6.57%. Conclusions and relevance in this cohort study, cannabis use disorder was associated with a modest increased risk of perioperative morbidity and mortality after major elective, inpatient, non-cardiac surgery. In the context of increasing cannabis use rates, our findings support preoperative screening for cannabis use disorder as a component of perioperative risk stratification. However, further research is needed to quantify the perioperative impact of cannabis use by route and dosage and to inform recommendations for preoperative cannabis cessation. Next, British Journal of Surgery. Sentinel lymph node biopsy versus axillary lymph node dissection in breast cancer patients undergoing mastectomy with 1 to 2 metastatic sentinel lymph nodes, subanalysis of the Synodar 1 multicenter randomized clinical trial and reopening of enrollment. Background The initial results of the Synodar 1 randomized clinical trial reported that patients with T12 breast cancer and 1 to 2 macrometastatic sentinel lymph nodes treated with breast conserving surgery, sentinel lymph node biopsy only, and adjuvant therapy did not present worse three-year survival, regional recurrence, or distant recurrence rates compared with those treated with axillary lymph node dissection. To extend the recommendation of axillary lymph node dissection emission even in patients treated with mastectomy, a sub-analysis of the Synodar-1 trial is presented here. Methods Patients with T12 breast cancer and no more than two metastatic sentinel lymph nodes undergoing mastectomy were analyzed. After sentinel lymph node biopsy, patients were randomly assigned to receive either axillary lymph node dissection followed by adjuvant treatment, standard arm, or adjuvant treatment alone, experimental arm. The primary endpoint was overall survival. The secondary endpoint was recurrence-free survival. Results A total of 218 patients were treated with mastectomy, 111 were randomly assigned to the axillary lymph node dissection group, and 107 to the sentinel lymph node biopsy only group. At a median follow-up of 33.0 months, there were three deaths, 2.5% 
two deaths in the axillary lymph node dissection group and one death in the sentinel lymph node biopsy only group. There were five recurrences in each treatment arm. No axillary lymph node recurrence was observed. The five-year overall survival rates were 97.8 and 98.7% in the axillary lymph node dissection treatment arm and the sentinel lymph node biopsy only treatment arm, respectively, p equals 0.597. The five-year recurrence-free survival rates were 95.7 and 94.1% in the axillary lymph node dissection treatment arm and the sentinel lymph node biopsy treatment arm, respectively, p equals 0.821. Conclusion. In patients with T12 breast cancer and 1-2 macrometastatic sentinel lymph nodes treated with mastectomy, the overall survival and recurrence-free survival rates of patients treated with sentinel lymph node biopsy only were not inferior to those treated with axillary lymph node dissection. To strengthen the conclusion of the trial, the enrollment of patients treated with mastectomy was reopened as a single-arm experimental study. Second, Early outcomes from the minimally invasive right colectomy anastomosis study, recast background. The impact of method of anastomosis and minimally invasive surgical technique on surgical and clinical outcomes after right hemicolectomy is uncertain. The aim of the Mercast study was to compare intracorporeal and extracorporeal anastomosis, ICA and ESA respectively, each using either a laparoscopic approach or robot-assisted surgery during right hemicolectomies for benign or malignant tumors. Methods. This was an international, multicenter, perspective, observational, monitored, non randomized, parallel, four cohort study, laparoscopic ESA, laparoscopic ECA, robot assisted ESA, robot assisted ECA. High volume surgeons, at least 30 minimally invasive right colectomy procedures slash year, from 59 hospitals across 12 European countries treated patients over a three year interval. The primary composite endpoint was 30 day success defined by two measures of efficacy, absence of surgical wound infection and of any major complication within the first 30 days after surgery. Secondary outcomes were overall complications, conversion rate, duration of operation, and number of lymph nodes harvested. Propensity score analysis was used for comparison of ECA with ESA and robot-assisted surgery with laparoscopy. Results Some 1,320 patients were included in an intention-to-treat analysis, Laparoscopic ESA, 555, laparoscopic ECA, 356, robot-assisted ESA, 88, robot-assisted ECA, 321. No differences in the co-primary endpoint at 30 days after surgery were observed between cohorts, 7.2 and 7.6% in ESA and ECA groups respectively, 7.8 and 6.6% in laparoscopic and robot-assisted groups. Lower overall complication rates were observed after ECA, specifically less ileus, and nausea and vomiting after robot-assisted procedures. Conclusion No difference in the composite outcome of surgical wound infections and severe postoperative complications was found between intracorporeal versus extracorporeal anastomosis or laparoscopy versus robot-assisted surgery. Next one, Journal of Vascular Surgery Comparative outcomes of physician-modified fenestrated branched endovascular repair of post-dissection and degenerative complex abdominal or thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysms. Objective. Fenestrated branched endovascular repair has become a favorable treatment strategy for patients with complex abdominal aortic aneurysms, CAS, and thoracoabdominal aortic aneurysms, TIS, 
who are high risk for open repair. Compared with degenerative aneurysms, post-dissection aneurysms can pose additional challenges for endovascular repair. Literature on physician-modified fenestrated branched endovascular aortic repair, PMFVAR, for post-dissection aortic aneurysms is sparse. Therefore, the aim of this study is to compare the clinical outcomes of patients who underwent PMFVAR for degenerative and post-dissection casortes. Methods A single-center institutional database was retrospectively reviewed for patients that underwent PMFVAR between 2015 and 2021. Infected aneurysms and pseudoaneurysms were excluded. Patient characteristics, intraoperative details and clinical outcomes were compared between degenerative and post-dissection casortes. The primary outcome was 30-day mortality. The secondary outcomes included technical success, major complications, endoleak, target vessel instability, and reintervention. Results Of the 183 patients who underwent PMFVAR in the study, 32 had aortic dissections, and 151 had degenerative aneurysms. There was one 30-day death, 3.1%, in the post-dissection group and eight 30-day deaths, 5.3%, in the degenerative aneurysm group, B equals 0.99. Technical success, fluoroscopy time, and contrast usage were similar between the post-dissection and degenerative groups. Re-intervention during follow-up, 28% versus 35%, P equals 0.54, and major complications were not statistically significantly different between the two groups. Endoleak was the most common reason for re-intervention, with the post-dissection group having a higher rate of type IC, 2, and via endoleaks, 31% versus 3%, P less than 0.0001, 59% versus 26%, P equals 0.0002, and 16% versus 4%, P equals 0.03. During the mean follow-up of 14 months, all-cause mortality was similar between the groups, 12.5% versus 21.9%, P equals 0.23. Conclusions PMFVAR is a safe treatment for post-dissection cousins with high technical success. However, endoleaks requiring re-intervention were more frequent in post-dissection patients. The impact of these re-interventions on long-term durability will be assessed with continued follow-up. Moving on to surgical endoscopy. Laparoscopic versus robotic abdominal and pelvic surgery, a systematic review of randomized controlled trials. Background. The current evidence is inconclusive on whether robotic or laparoscopic surgery is the optimal platform for minimally invasive surgery. Existing comparisons techniques focus on short-term outcomes only, while potentially being confounded by a lack of standardization in robotic procedures. There is a pertinent need for an up-to-date comparison between minimally invasive surgical techniques. We aim to systematically review randomized controlled trials comparing robotic and laparoscopic techniques in major surgery. Methods. In base, Medline and Cochrane Library were searched from their inception to 13th of September 2022. Included studies were randomized control trials comparing robotic and laparoscopic techniques in abdominal and pelvic surgery. The study followed the preferred reporting items for systematic reviews and meta-analyses (PRISMA) guidelines. Short-term, health-related quality of life and long-term outcomes were analyzed. Results. 45 studies, across 13 procedures, involving 7,364 patients were included. 
All of the studies reported non-significant differences in mortality between robotic and laparoscopic surgery. In majority of studies, there was no significant difference in complication rate, and equals 31 85.6%, length of postoperative stay, and equals 27 30 seconds, 84.4%, and conversion rate, and equals 15 83.3%. Laparoscopic surgery was associated with shorter operative time, and equals 1631, 51.6%, and lower total cost, and equals 1113, 84.6%. 23 studies reported on quality of life outcomes, majority, and equals 1423, 60.9%, found no significant differences. Conclusion There were no significant differences between robotic surgery and laparoscopic surgery with regards to mortality and morbidity outcomes in the majority of studies. Robotic surgery was frequently associated with longer operative times and higher overall cost. Selected studies found potential benefits in postoperative recovery time and patient reported outcomes. However, these were not consistent across procedures and trials, with most studies being underpowered to detect differences in secondary outcomes. Future research should focus on assessing quality of life and long-term outcomes to further elucidate where the robotic platform could lead to patient benefits as the technology evolves. Next one annals of surgical oncology. The optimal age threshold for stratifying the risks of disease progression in patients with highly suspicious subcentimeter thyroid nodules. Purpose The study aimed to identify the value and optimal age cutoff to predict the progression of highly suspicious thyroid nodules less than or equal to 10 mm during active surveillance, as, and to reveal distinct risk factors in patients of different ages. Methods a total of 779 patients with highly suspicious thyroid nodules were enrolled and followed up by ultrasonography. Locally weighted scatterplot smoothing, LAWIS, and the package change point were used to identify the optimal age cutoffs using our multivariate Cox regression was performed to identify independent prognostic factors in each patient group divided according to age. Results Age was an independent predictor of nodule progression. P equals 0.038. The optimal age cutoff to stratify the risk of nodule progression was 30 years. Younger patients were more likely to have progression of nodules during AS, P less than 0.001, including enlargement of nodule size, P equals 0.011, and new lesion occurrence, P less than 0.001. Nodule size was identified as a risk factor for disease progression in patients younger than 30 years old. P equals 0.008, or 7.946, 95% C1.715 to 36.820, while multifocality, P equals 0.018, or 2.315, 95% C1.155 to 4.639, and thyroiditis, P equals 0.028, or 2.265, 95% C1.092 to 4.699, were independent predictors in patients over 30 years old. Conclusions Highly suspicious thyroid nodules less than or equal to 10 mm in young patients tended to be more progressive. The predictors of disease progression were distinct in patients of different ages. Next one is from obesity surgery. Laparoscopic assisted transversus abdominis plane, TAP, block versus port site infiltration with local anesthetics in bariatric surgery a double-blind randomized controlled trial. 
Background The transversus abdominis plane, TAP, block has shown great potential usefulness in the management of postoperative pain, however, there is lacking evidence regarding its use in bariatric surgery. This randomized double-blind trial was aimed at comparing the effectiveness of the TAP block and port site infiltration, PSI, in patients undergoing bariatric surgery. Methods We included patients greater than or equal to 18 years old undergoing bariatric surgery. From July 2020 to July 2021, all eligible patients were randomized to receive either laparoscopic-assisted TAP block or PSI. Demographic and clinical data were collected and analyzed. Results During the study period, we included 113 patients. 51 were allocated to the TAP block group and 62 to the PSI group. The mean age was 47.9 plus or minus 11.2 years, 88, 77.9%, patients were female, and mean BMI was 40.5 plus or minus 5.9 kg slash M2. Operative time was 110 plus or minus 42 minutes versus 114 plus or minus 41 minutes in the TAP block and PSI groups, P equals 0.658. At 24 hours after surgery, pain on the vas was 2.5 plus or minus 2.6 versus 2.3 plus or minus 2.1, P equals 0.661. No significant difference between the groups was noted at 3, 6, 12, and 18 hours. Also, opioid and antiemetic consumption, the length of stay, 3.4 plus or minus 1.5 days versus 3.2 plus or minus 1.1 days, P equals 0.392, and satisfaction score, 154 plus or minus 10 pints versus 154 plus or minus 16 pints, P equals 0.828, were similar in the two groups. Conclusions Patients undergoing bariatric surgery and receiving either the TAP block or the PSI had similar postoperative pain, nausea, length of stay, and satisfaction. As PSI is technically easier and more reproducible, it might be the first choice for postoperative multimodal analgesia in bariatric surgery. Moving on to International Journal of Surgery Reassessing the Survival Benefit of Deceased Donor Liver Transplantation, Retrospective Cohort Study Currently in the United States, deceased donor liver transplant, DDLT, allocation priority is based on the model for end-stage liver disease including sodium, MELDNA, score. The United Network for Organ Sharing's Share 15 policy states that candidates with MELDNA scores of 15 or greater have priority to receive local organ offers compared to candidates with lower MELDNA scores. Since the inception of this policy, Major changes in the primary etiologies of end-stage liver disease have occurred and previous assumptions need to be recalibrated. Methods The authors retrospectively analyzed the Scientific Registry of Transplant Recipients database between 2012 and 2021 to determine life years saved by DDLT at each interval of MELDNA score and the time to equal risk and time to equal survival versus remaining on the waitlist. The authors stratified our analysis by MELD exception points, primary disease etiology, and MELD score. Results On aggregate, compared to remaining on the waitlist, a significant one-year survival advantage of DDLT at MELDNA scores as low as 12 was found. The median life years saved at this score after a liver transplant was estimated to be greater than 9 years. While the total life years saved were comparable across all MELDNA scores, the time to equal risk and time to equal survival decreased exponentially as MELDNA scores increased. Conclusion 
Herein, the authors challenge the perception as to the timing of DDLT and when that benefit occurs. The national liver allocation policy is transitioning to a continuous distribution framework and these data will be instrumental to defining the attributes of the continuous allocation score. Second article. Early plasma proteomic biomarkers and prediction model of acute respiratory distress syndrome after cardiopulmonary bypass, a prospective nested cohort study. Background. Early recognition of the risk of acute respiratory distress syndrome, ARDS, after cardiopulmonary bypass, CPB, may improve clinical outcomes. The main objective of this study was to identify proteomic biomarkers and develop an early prediction model for CPB ARDS. Methods The authors conducted three prospective nested cohort studies of all consecutive patients undergoing cardiac surgery with CPB at Union Hospital of Tongji Medical College Hospital. Plasma proteomic profiling was performed in ARDS patients and matched controls, cohort 1, April 2021 July 2021, at multiple time points, before CPB, T1, at the end of CPB, T2, and 24 hours after CPB, T3. Results A total of 709 proteins were identified, with 9, 29, and 35 altered proteins between ARDS cases and controls at T1. T2 and T3, respectively, in cohort 1. Following quantitative verification of several predictive proteins in cohort 2, higher levels of thyrodoxin domain containing 5, TXNDC5, Cathepsin L, CTSL, and NPC intracellular cholesterol transporter 2, NPC2, at T2 were observed in CPB ARDS patients. A dynamic online predictive nomogram was developed based on three proteins, TXNDC5, CTSL and NPC2, and two clinical risk factors, CPB time and massive blood transfusion, with excellent performance, precision, 83.33%, sensitivity, 93.33%, specificity, 61.16%, and F1 score, 85.05%. The mean area under the receiver operating characteristics curve, AUC, of the model after 10-fold cross-validation was 0.839, 95% C, 0.824-0.855. Model discrimination and calibration were maintained during external validation dataset testing, with an AUC of 0.820, 95% C, 0.685-0.955, and a Briar score of 0.177, 95% C, 0.147 to 0.206. Conclusions This study identified several novel predictive biomarkers, developed and validated a practical prediction tool using biomarker and clinical factor combinations for individual prediction of CPB ARDS risk. Assessing the plasma TXNDC5, CTSL, and NPC2 levels might identify patients who warrant closer follow-up and intensified therapy for ARDS prevention following major surgery. Next on the Journal of the American College of Surgeons. Operationalizing the Culture of Burnout and Well-Being, Multicenter Study of Value Congruence and Flourishing in General Surgery Residency. Value Congruence, VC, is the degree of alignment between worker and workplace values and is strongly associated with reduced job strain and retention. Within general surgery residency, the impact of VC and how to operationalize it to improve workplace well-being remain unclear. Study Design 
This two-part mixed-method study comprised two surveys of U.S. general surgery residents and qualitative interviews with program directors. In Part 1, January 2021, Mixed-level surgical residents from 16 IGMA-accredited general surgery residency programs participated in survey number 1. This survey was used to identify shared or conflicting perspectives on BC concerning well-being initiatives and resources. In April 2021, interviews from eight institutions were conducted with nine program directors or their proxies. In Part 2, May to June 2022, a similar cohort of surgical residents participated in survey number 2. Unadjusted logistic and linear regression models were used in this survey to assess the association between BC and individual-level global well-being, e-flourishing, respectively. Results In survey number 1, N equals 300, 34% response rate, lack of VC was an emergent theme with subthemes of inaccessibility, inconsiderateness, inauthenticity, and insufficiency regarding well-being resources. Program directors expressed variable awareness of and alignment with these perceptions. In survey number 2, N equals 251, 31% response rate, higher VC was significantly associated with flourishing, odds ratio 1.91, 95% C 1.44 to 2.52, T less than 0.001. Conclusions Exploring the perceived lack of VC within general surgery residency reveals an important cultural variable for optimizing well-being and suggests open dialogue as a first step toward positive change. Future work to identify where and how institutional actions diminish perceived VC is warranted. Second, pseudoaneurysm after high-grade penetrating solid organ injury and utility of delayed CT angiography. Background Leaving an injured solid organ in situ allows preservation of structure function but invites complications from the damaged parenchyma, including pseudoaneurysms, PSAs. Empiric PSA screening after solid organ injury is not yet established, particularly following penetrating trauma. The study objective was definition of delayed CT angiography, CTA, yield and triggering intervention for PSA after penetrating solid organ injury. Methods Penetrating trauma patients at our American College of Surgeons Verified Level 1 Center with American Association for the Surgery of Trauma Grade Greater Than or Equal to 3 Abdominal Solid Organ Injury Liver, Spleen, Kidney, were retrospectively screened, January 2017 to October 2021. Exclusions were age less than 18 years, transfers, death within less than 48H, and nephrectomy slash splenectomy within less than 4H. Primary outcome was intervention triggered by TA. Statistical testing with ANOVA-slash-CHI-square compared outcomes between screened versus unscreened patients. Results A total of 136 penetrating trauma patients met study criteria, 57 patients, 42%, screened for PSA with TGA and 79, 58%, unscreened. Liver injuries were most common, N equals 41, 64% versus N equals 55, 66%, followed by kidney, N equals 21, 33% versus N equals 23, 27%, and spleen, N equals 2, 3% versus N equals 6, 7%, P equals 0.48. Median American Association for the Surgery of Trauma Grade of Solid Organ Injury was 3, 3 to 4, across groups, P equals 0.75. To diagnose 10 PSAs, 18%, at a median of hospital day 5, 3 to 9. Among screened patients, 
to triggered intervention in 17% of liver patients, 29% of kidney patients, and 0% of spleen-injured patients, for an overall yield of 23%. Conclusions Half of eligible penetrating high-grade solid organ injuries were screened for PSA with DIDA. DIDA identified a significant number of PSAs and triggered intervention in 23% of screened patients. DIDA did not diagnose any PSAs after splenic injury, although sample size hinders interpretation. To avoid missing PSAs and incurring their risk of rupture, universal screening of high-grade penetrating solid organ injuries may be prudent. From the Journal of Trauma and Acute Care Surgery The Effects of Hypocalcemia in Severely Injured Pediatric Trauma Patients Introduction The Role of Calcium is Ubiquitous in Human Physiology Emerging evidence suggests that the lethal triad be revised to include hypocalcemia, hypoca, and thus be known as the lethal diamond. There are data showing that traumatic injury may result in hypoca independent from the mechanism of calcium collation by citrate-based blood preservatives. Minimal literature exists analyzing the role of hypoca in pediatric trauma patients. We hypothesize that there is an independent association of hypoca with increased blood product requirements and mortality. Methods A retrospective cohort study of severely injured pediatric trauma patients was conducted. Trauma registry data were collected from January 2016 to August 2021. Ionized calcium, ICA, levels were obtained from arrival blood draws. Subjects were categorized into two groups by a threshold ICA level of 1.00 millimoles L and compared. Shock index pediatric adjusted scores were used to adjust for age-specific differences in vital signs. Results A total of 142 patients were compared, of which 46.5% were hypocalcemic, ICA less than 1.00 millimoles L. Patients were well matched in terms of demographics and injury severity. The hypocalcemic group had lower systolic blood pressure and a higher percentage of shock index pediatric adjusted positive patients. Weight-adjusted transfusion volumes were significantly higher in the hypocalcemic group at both the 4-hour and 24-hour time points without a difference in pre-hospital transfusion requirements. There was no observed difference in early or in-hospital mortality. Conclusion This study contributes to the body of literature regarding the association between hypoca and traumatic injury in the pediatric population. Hypocalcemia was associated with increased blood product requirements without a difference in pre-hospital transfusion requirements, suggesting a possible independent association. Further prospective studies are needed to better understand this relationship. From the American Journal of Surgery Understanding Ultrarare Adverse Events, Lessons Learned from a 12-Year Review of Intraoperative Deaths, at an Academic Medical Center Background Intraoperative Death ID is rare, the incidence remains challenging to quantify and learning opportunities are limited. We aim to better define the demographics of ID by reviewing the longest single-site series. Methods Retrospective chart reviews, including a review of contemporaneous incident reports, were performed on all ID between March 2010 to August 2022 at an academic medical center. Results Over 12 years, 154 IDs occurred, 13 slash year, average age, 54.3 years, male, 60%. Most occurred during emergency procedures, and equals 115, 74.7%, 39, 25.3%, during elective procedures. 
Incident reports were submitted in 129 cases, 84%. 21, 16.3%, reports cited 28 contributing factors including challenges with coordination, N equals 8, 28.6%, skill-based errors, N equals 7, 25.0%, and environmental factors, N equals 3, 10.7%. Conclusions Most deaths occurred in patients admitted from the ER with general surgical problems. Despite expectations for incident reporting, few provided actionable information on ergonomic factors which might help identify improvement opportunities. Second one, preoperative history and physical update visits offer limited clinical value in colorectal surgery. Background United States regulations require a history and physical, H&P, less than or equal to 30 days before planned procedures. We evaluated the impact of H&P update visits in colorectal surgery. Methods Preoperative H&P update visits conducted in colorectal clinics at our institution during 2019 were identified. Two independent reviewers assessed whether update visits identified interval changes to history, exam, or operative plan. Secondary outcomes included visit times, estimated travel times and distances. Results For 132 visits, interval changes were identified in 39% of histories, but only 4.2% of exams and 6.8% of operative plans. When plans changed, visit goals could have been accomplished via telehealth in 77.8%. Median clinic and round-trip driving time were 61.5 and 62.2 minutes, respectively. Conclusions H&P update visits conducted to satisfy the 30-day regulation rarely result in clinically relevant changes yet impose time and travel burdens on patients. Regulations should be revised to provide flexibility in H&P update modalities. From the World Journal of Surgery Modified Enhanced Recovery After Surgery, ERAS, Protocol versus Non-ERAS Protocol in Patients Undergoing Emergency Laparotomy for Acute Intestinal Obstruction, a Randomized Controlled Trial Background Enhanced Recovery After Surgery, ERAS, is a multimodal approach with promising results in improving patient outcome. Only recently, is evidence emerging highlighting how similar principles of care can be applied to patients undergoing emergency abdominal surgery. Methods A randomized controlled trial was conducted from November 2021 to April 2022 at Jamur which is a leading tertiary care hospital in northern India. 60 patients with acute intestinal obstruction requiring emergency laparotomy were randomized and assigned to ERAS or non-ERAS group. ERAS protocol with some modifications was applied. Primary endpoints were postoperative hospital stay. Secondary endpoints were morbidity, 30-day readmission and mortality rate. Data analysis was done using SPSS 22.0. Independent T-test or Mann-Whitney test and Chi-square or Fisher exact test were used for analysis. Results A significant 3-day reduction in hospital stay was observed in ERAS compared to non-ERAS group median, interquartile range, 5.50, 4.75 to 8.25, versus 8.0, 6.0 to 11.0, p equals 0.003, with no difference in 30-day readmission rate, mortality rate and complication rate, according to Clavin-Dindo classification. ERAS group was associated with early recovery of gastrointestinal functions including time to first passage of flatus, P less than 0.001, 
stools, P equals 0.014, early ambulation, P less than 0.001, time to first fluid diet, P less than 0.001, solid diet, P equals 0.001, and reduced nasogastric tube reinsertion rates, P equals 0.01, despite its early removal. Conclusion Errors with some modifications can be applied in patients with intestinal obstruction. Thus, we can expedite postoperative recovery and early regain of gastrointestinal function with decreased hospital stay, comparable morbidity and mortality. Further studies are needed to assess ERA's role in emergency gastrointestinal surgeries. Second, the role of open cardiopulmonary resuscitation in chest trauma patients with no sign of life, a National Trauma Data Bank study. Purpose The effectiveness of open cardiopulmonary resuscitation, OCPR, remains controversial for trauma patients. In this current study, the role of OCPR in managing chest trauma patients is evaluated using nationwide real-world data. Methods From 2014 to 2015, the National Trauma Data Bank was retrospectively queried for chest trauma patients with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest status. The Emergency Department, ED, and overall survival of patients without signs of life were analyzed. Multivariate Logistic Regression, MLR, analysis was performed to evaluate independent factors of mortality for the target group. Furthermore, a subset group of patients who survived after the ED were studied, focusing on the duration of survival after leaving the ED. Results A total of 911 patients were enrolled in this study, OCPR versus non-OCPR, 161 patients versus 750 patients. The average overall mortality rate was 98.6%, and equals 898. Among penetrating chest trauma patients, non-survivors in the ED had significantly higher proportions of gunshot injuries, 83.9% versus 69.7%, P equals 0.001, and lower proportions of OCPR, 20.7% versus 44.4%, P less than 0.001. MLR analysis showed that gunshot injuries and non-OCPR were significantly related to ED mortality in penetrating trauma patients without signs of life, odds ratio equals 2.039, P equals 0.006 and odds ratio equals 2.900, P less than 0.001, respectively. However, the overall survival rate of patients after ED survival, N equals 99, was 9.9%, and only 21.2%, N equals 21, of them survived more than one day after leaving the ED. Conclusion OCPR could be considered in situations where appropriate indications exist. The survival benefit was observed in critically ill patients with penetrating chest trauma who show no signs. Next the American Journal of Transplantation, AJT. Diagnosis and Treatment of Allograft Rejection and Islet Transplantation. SLED transplantation stabilizes glycemic control in patients with complicated diabetes mellitus. Rapid functional decline could be due to islet allograft rejection. However, there is no reliable method to assess rejection, and treatment protocols are absent. We aim to characterize diagnostic features of islet allograft rejection and assess effectiveness of high-dose methylprednisolone treatment. Over a median follow-up of 61.8 months, 22%, 9 of 41, of islet transplant recipients experienced 10 suspected rejection episodes, SREs. 
All first SREs occurred within 18 months after transplantation. Important features were unexplained hyperglycemia, all cases, unexplained C-peptide decrease, delta C-peptide, 77.1%, minus 59.1% to minus 91.6%, delta C-peptide glucose, minus 76.3%, minus 49.2% to minus 90.4%, predisposing event, 5 of 10 cases, and increased immunologic risk, 5 of 10 cases. At six months post-SRE, patients who received protocolized methylprednisolone, N equals 4, had significantly better islet function than untreated patients, N equals 4, according to C-peptide, 1.39 plus or minus 0.59 versus 0.14 plus or minus 0.19 mol slash L, P equals 0.007, equals score, good, 4 of 4 cases, versus failure, 3 of 4 cases, or marginal, 1 of 4 cases, P equals 0.018, and beta score, 6.0, 6.0 to 6.0, versus 1.0, 0.0 to 3.5, P equals 0.013. SREs are prevalent among islet transplant recipients, and are associated with loss of islet graft function. Timely treatment with high-dose methylprednisolone mitigates this loss. Unexplained hyperglycemia, unexpected C-peptide decrease, a predisposing event, and elevated immunologic risk are diagnostic indicators for SRE. Thank you for listening to this week in surgery, your filtered medical journal summary. Have a great week ahead, stay blessed and be humane.